From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. It's become one of those legendary founders stories. Dave Capel was suffering writer's block and in an attempt to push past it and get back to writing songs, he wrote down some interesting words on paper and rearranged them. But one big sneeze blew his progress to smithereens. And in that mucusy moment, the idea was born for magnetic poetry. Since the 90s, magnetic poetry has sold millions of kits and produced more than one billion word tiles. I'd venture to guess most of us still have more than a few poetry tiles under our refrigerators or in our kitchen drawers. I know I do. You probably know the brand, but I'm not sure how many people realize Magnetic Poetry is based right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're lucky enough to have Dave here with us today. Hi, Dave. How's it going, Allison? I mean, you are like, did I did I get the story right? It's pretty because much, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah has it been blown up? Because I've, I've read a lot of different versions of the sneeze. Yeah, and yeah. The sneeze you will never live down. Did you ever think at this point the, the story's been told so many times i don't know what's right anymore, <laughs> well um, i i had to go by what i read and what i've seen because you are one of those minnesota entrepreneurs that i've actually never met i was so excited to get to talk to you about your story i've always known magne- magnetic poetry was based here but you're kind of a, a little bit under the radar yeah yeah i'm a mystery man <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> how do you how do you do that do you just i mean not well, really on the speaking circuit. No, not, I guess I don't talk very well or <laughs> something. No, uh, You're a uh, poet. It, you know, in the old days when when the thing was on its ascent, um, you know, the, I invented it in 1993, so it's been 26 years. So we're not a spring chicken of a company, and um, uh, at the time, yeah, I was interviewing, you know, doing lots of lots of speaking, especially when. Um, uh, I think it was 1997 that we came out with a couple of books uh, published through uh, Workman Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one was called the Magnetic Poetry Book of Poetry, which was a collection of uh, magnetic poems that had been made on fridges around the world. And it also included a little uh, a pay, a steel page and a little mini magnetic poetry kit so you could try your own hand at it. And um, that actually was a best-selling book. We sold... Uh, uh, over half a million copies or uh, copies of that. Hmm. Um, it went into I think eleven printings. And did you write and, all the poems? In well, it? no, no, no. They, they, they it, in the early days, people were sending us their poems in the mail via snail mail, <laughs> um, and so we just had stacks and stacks of these things. And then there uh, a woman named uh, Sally Steenland, who lived out in Connecticut, I think. Um, was also collecting these things. She had all her friends were were magnetic poets, and uh, she's a writer. And called me saying, "Have you ever thought about doing a book?" Because I've been going to people's houses and collecting their their best poems, and um, and just asking around after 
magnetic poems, and I think you could make a cool book. And uh, I said, I've been thinking the same thing. And so we, we kind of put our heads together and we made a pitch to Workman, and and they picked it up and published it and uh, sent me on tour. So wow. uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a book. I don't know if you're no. a writer or not. But, no, haven't done that. Um, Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Get to work, Allison. So you Get ta- to work. Right, right. So, all right, let's go back. Before you were on book tour, before you were a world-famous entrepreneur, um, you were a musician? Or I, uh, yeah. you were a cab driver? Yeah, I was a cab driver. <laughs> I, I worked in a scratch-and-sniff factory for a little while. That's a thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like of course it is. Hasn't everybody done that? <laughs> Yeah, I packaged up uh, uh, scratch and sniff stickers. That was one of my summer jobs when I was in college. Wow, that is interesting. Trend Enterprises <laughs> in New Brighton, Minnesota. Um, what did you What did you want to be when you grew up? What were you, What did you um, think you were going to do when you were in college? You know, I was kind of a ne'er do well, I guess. Uh, I no, I, I wasn't. I got good grades. I was. Uh, I was a little bit aimless, uh, but. I, I ultimately I wanted to be a teacher. Hmm. Um, my my goal was to be a like a high school English teacher or something like that. But it was very it was sort of a vague goal, and I I wasn't sure that I had the. Well, for one thing, when I graduated with my un, undergrad degree, I was about twenty thousand dollars in student loan debt, which was one of the reasons I started selling magnetic poetry or when I came up with magnetic poetry the first venue for selling these things was at craft fairs Hmm. so okay so wait so so you're you're sort of you're figuring life out you're you're a musician were you were you actually in a band uh yeah well yeah yeah, okay um this this thing happens right I mean the the legend is true that you were arranging words yeah yeah there's there's, of course I could go very granular with a story but I'll tell a, a a little bit more detailed story about it, which is that um, at the time I was I was making all kinds of stuff. It was sort of my my prime directive back then, and now even now is that I just like to make cool stuff um, for yourself. Little, I mean, are yeah, you always for myself thinking... and for just you know I like just being creative. Okay. Um, and back then, um, actually, there was another woman named Allison Kaplan. Crazy. Who was, I don't know how much you know about her, but she, uh, you said that you know who she I, is. Yes, but, uh, I know the other one. <laughs> but she and her roommate, I was d- dating her roommate uh, back then, and those two were doing a lot of paper art. Um, they were cutting things up and making collage type things and little books, and she, and Allison is a, uh, was into book arts. Uh, book binding and things like that. And so I would sometimes sit down with them and do, you know, stuff with scissors and glue and and that. Just for fun. Yeah, just for fun and just making stuff. This is in college or after this college? This is after college. Okay. I I'd, I'd, I'd graduated with my English degree. Okay. Very marketable English degree, <laughs> which actually turned out quite fortunate. Um, uh, because and there were confluence things, uh, confluence of things that 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 led to magnetic poetry. One was that I was already cutting up and gluing stuff. Um, another one was that I was in a band uh, uh, with some other guys who uh, three of us were dumped by our girlfriends and or wives at the same time, and uh, so we decided to do a recording project, sort of based on that. Um, on being dumped. 
on being dumped. Yeah, we were going to write a lot of dump songs. And um, um, it, so I'll, I'll just go to that part of it. Uh, we did, we, one of the things that we did in coming up with this album was that we did what they call free writing. Uh, which is something. There's a book called "Writing Down the Bones" by a, a woman, a local woman named uh, uh, Natalie, Go- Natalie Goldberg, and her whole thing is uh, is doing this thing called free writing, where you just sit down with a blank sheet of paper and write. The only rule is that you keep your pen on the paper and you just keep on writing. You could write the word Allison a thousand times if you feel like it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the exercises that she advocates is just coming up with a word so uh, and then writing on that word so i see the word acoustic here i might write down i remember when i bought my first acoustic guitar it was at the podium in dinky town i was 15 years old and my dad was blah 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 and you know i just write and write and write and write good or bad just keep on writing so these guys, uh, four of us sat down at a table and we did this free writing exercise where each of us brought a word to the meeting. And uh, I remember my word was attic, you know, like what's in the top of your house. And uh, we wrote for 15 minutes on, you know, the word attic. On attic. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, the other guys brought other words. And then one of the guys made photocopies of all of our writing and distributed it to all of us. And then we were supposed to use that as fodder for, you know, for sparking song ideas. Um, and my thing that I wound up doing with my stuff was I, I cut out the most interesting words and phrases out of these things and arranged them on the table. Now, where I got that idea was from watching a David Bowie documentary called Cracked Actor, uh, which one of the little things that was in that movie was David Bowie writing a song, and he used what he called the cut-up method, which is he made photocopies of his journals and cut out the most interesting words and phrases and arranged them on a table and used those to come up with lyrics. Hmm. So there's a confluence of a, a whole bunch of different things, which led me to, yes, having a bunch of little slips of paper on my desk in May of 1993 when I have typically have springtime allergies. And, <laughs> and then it all builds to yeah, that epic sneeze. That, but it wasn't phlegmy, Allison. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was very dry. I, I was just embellishing. I'm so sorry. This is how it happens, right? It wasn't moist. <laughs> no There, moist. I brought that word in. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I sneezed, and uh, another serendipitous thing that happened was that one of my seven roommates that I lived with at the time worked at Tavani's Pizza, and she, one day, a couple of months prior to this, came home with a huge box of misprinted uh, advertising magnets from Tavani. So they'd printed the wrong phone number on there, and they were going to throw them all out. And she brought them home to this house full of creatives and thought somebody could, would find a use for them at some point. And I remembered that after the the sneeze, mm-hmm. capitalized, <laughs> um, and thought, oh, what if I stuck a, a little piece of magnet to the back of each of these slips and stuck them to a cookie sheet? And um, and it worked. And it was cool. Yeah. And, um there, that thing, the the cookie sheet was on my desk, and you know, so that was my little writing kit, and uh, um, 
and I was proud of it. I didn't think anything of it really at the time. Eventually, though, uh, we had a party at our house, and uh, one of my other roommates was looking for the cookie sheet because she wanted to make cookies. <laughs> Imagine and, that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I said, "Oh, I've got, I got the cookie sheet." And so I went in the kitchen with her, and I, I was, and we're taking magnets off the thing, and. Where am I going to put all these? Oh, I'll stick them to the fridge. People can play play with them at the party. And so I stuck them to the fridge. And you know, long story long story shorter, I uh, by the end of the party, I'd taken I had already taken orders for like half a dozen of these things. People, people started gathering yeah, people, and writing everybody poems. Was, yeah, yeah, and they and they were also cutting the like the phrases apart, and also cutting the ends off of words. We had a, a scissors, and they're like, I did, I you know the the word. Uh, boating should be. I, I just need boat, not the ing. So they cut the ing off, and the, and I was like, oh yeah, it's a lot better that way. You know, having words and word fragments in here. Yeah. And uh, so were you watching all this, thinking, oh my god. Yeah, this is cool. This is a. Th- this were is you really thinking cool. this is a business, or were you just thinking this is cool for I'm having a good party? I, but yeah, <laughs> both, both. But uh, but I, I I did have the you know the light bulb moment of I I could sell these. Well, I did sell the things. People wanted yeah. to take home their own magnetic People, words. Yeah, and it, and it, and so immediately after that, it was I I felt like I was selling drugs because I <laughs> I found a source for more magnet and. Um, uh, this adhesive-backed magnetic material, and bought a whole bunch of it. Bought a case of it, and started making, you know, intentionally making these things, and and putting them in envelopes, and putting a little thing magnet. And I came up with the name Magnetic Poetry Kit. It's just descriptive. You know? Yeah. Um, and I wrote that on there, and the date that I made it, and so and you know were signed you, it. And, were you literally writing the words on the first? No, ones, I I just went to Kinko's, okay. and I you know yeah I I I had a. a access to a laptop. I worked at a, a local produce company called Roots and Fruits. Um, and uh, I used their computer to kind of do a little bit of graphic mm-hmm. stuff. You know, and, um, and does Devani's know that their magnets really are what <laughs> launched your business? I've mentioned it before. They haven't, they've never given me, I've never gotten a free hoagie nope. out of them. Or, <laughs> um, but uh, uh yeah, so so you're selling these to friends. Yeah, to friends sort and of... friends, and then it became friends of friends, and people are calling like, "Hi, my name is Harold, and I'm and uh, can I buy one of those things? I saw it over at Steve's, and uh, and, uh, and so again, I felt like I was selling drugs because people were coming to my house and they were giving me cash, and I was handing them that's an envelope. Whole, that is so. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be in a store and think, "Oh, that's cute. That would make a nice gift," but like to really like seek it out. What what do you think that was? It was. Uh, well, again, confluences. It was a. I went viral before there was a vi- You know, the computer vi- it, it You know, the the internet wasn't really happening yet. That it was maybe happening with a few geeks here and there. But at the time, the going viral meant word of mouth. And um, one of the great things about magnetic poetry that helped it go viral was that, at the time, pre-text era. You know, texting on your phone era. People sent messages to each other or, you know, to other members of the family via written, like, post-it notes stuck to the fridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fridge was, and also at the time, there were no stainless steel fridges. So all fridges were magnetic, hmm. um, Good point. pretty much. Mm-hmm. 
And the fridge, it, it, so the kitchen is the center of the house, and the fridge is the center of the kitchen. You know, it's a place where people gather. So it was a natural, magnetic poetry appeared in the most prime viral real estate imaginable mm-hmm. at, at the time. And um, so it was an advertisement for itself. And people would, were gravity, you know, were, would gravitate towards those things and play with them and they'd be delighted by it, by it and find, you know, creative part of themselves that they never knew existed. And like, wow, I can make the, you know, they, they just, you know, put randomly some words together and, and it would be evocative of something. And they'd say, oh my gosh, I've never really thought like a poet before. This is amazing. And, you know, um, so, so you're selling these, you've got all this great uh, feedback that this is this is something you're on to something here. This is a product you can obviously sell it. How did you turn it into a business? What, what did you take steps to incorporate, and how did you start getting it into stores? Yeah, well, that was <laughs> was and continues to be the challenge as the is the business end, end of things. Uh, I, I don't know that I consider myself a natural businessman. I didn't set off to. Start a bit to do a startup, mm-hmm. um, but I got a, a crash course in it. Definitely, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, you know, really from the beginning, I have never been af- afraid to be dumb about this stuff and ask questions and just find smart people who know the answers to things. Um, which is something that I would advocate for every entrepreneur and and, and every inventor, really. Uh, one of the, th- the things that uh, uh, most people come to me with who say, I've got a great idea and, and I was inspired by your story. I re- really would like to start up my own thing. And so what's your idea? Well, I can't really talk about it because I, you know, I'm afraid that it's, it's going to get stolen. And that is, I think, the worst mistake you can make. Uh, you know, you need to talk through your idea with as many people as possible and flesh it out and see the flaws in it. It's it's, it's sort of like the scientific method, or, or uh, where you need for people to poke holes in your thing so you can fix those holes and ask you know uh, bold questions ab- about your product and the viability of your product and the pricing and the look of it and the you know how many people will are drawn to it and mm-hmm. how can it be improved and so, so how long did it take you? you you've got this thing you're selling them out of your kitchen you're packaging them up how long did it take you to, to work through all of those questions or, or figure well, out how do you do distribution yeah we're you... we're continually sort of refining the product itself um and the line of products that we we sell we have a, about 150 different versions of magnetic poetry at this point, um, and we're always kind of calling the ones that don't sell and, and adding new ones that we think will sell, themed theme versions, lang- different languages, and so forth. But uh, so you know, I came up with the idea in 1993. Then I started selling it after I was selling it to friends, and I I, I started contracting all my friends to help me assemble these things. So I'd say, I'll pay you, I can't remember, $7 a kit to make assemble these things. And and then I started putting them in these little paper boxes that I got at a local company. And um, I printed out labels at Kinko's and I stuck them to the box. And it looked a little bit more professional at that point. And then um, somehow uh, this woman, Pam Jones from The Walker, 
saw one and said, I think we could sell that, sell that at the Walker, but I need you to change the packaging a little bit and it needs to be a little bit more professional and it needs to have a UPC number. You know, and this, said, is, this is the gift shop at the yeah, Walker Yeah, the, the buyer at the, at right. the Walker and gift that's shop. A, that's a pretty great place to yes. start. That is, yep. That's quite a store with yeah. like a worldwide reputation. Yes, so. yes. And she really, she, I, I said, can I buy you lunch and just pick your, pick your brain? And she was fantastic. She told me all about uh, the New York gift show and toy fair. And she said, you should be at the gift show and uh, you should have reps that are selling this stuff around the country. And how does that work? And she said, well, reps get paid 15% of wholesale, so they're not cheap, but they're worth every penny. And and I know a couple of really good ones. And and So she hooked you up? So she hooked me up, yep. And she helped me with packaging and she really helped me take that first step. And the Walker was your first retail location. Yep. Yep. And did it sell right away? It sold, yeah, so People quickly. People understood it. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, it sold. Um, it, shortly before that, there was a show there called Fluxus. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, Pam said that it re- reminded her of a Fluxus product. It, Fluxus was this weird kind of Dadaist maker movement, uh, one of the... Uh, Fluxus types of art was mail art, you know, where you make art and then you mail it to somebody and they maybe change it and mail it back to you and it's hmm. and it it's changed in the process cool. of mailing. It's damaged and stuff and, and becomes cooler as you mail it around. Anyway. Magnetic she, poetry sort of fit that Yeah, she genre. said that it kind of fit. She felt like it fit. And um, Did you but, quickly get into other stores after the success at the Walker shop? Well, yeah, and I well, I got into shortly after going to the, getting into the Walker, I uh, hired a, a a gift rep that I met I then met out at the New York gift show and she had a little space at the Javits Center in New York. And sold them, and you know had had the uh, a big steel panel f- to display how you know mm. how it worked, and and uh, were you still making them yourself or with the help of friends at the at time, that time? Yes, we were we were making them all by hand with a paper cutter and a scissors and a that's you know, amazing a laminator and yeah. Uh, so at what point? I mean, how, if she sold to you know if she was successful at the gift show, how in the world were you going to fulfill? Did, were you worried about that? Yeah, that was the that was one of the big issues. And yeah, about that time, I uh, I just called a local uh, screen printing and die cutting company. What are they called? Oh, um, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I uh, I realized it, through talking to some people that that in order to mass produce these things, I would have to uh, screen cut, uh, screen print, and die cut them. Die cutting is just cut, hitting them with a like a cookie cutter mm-hmm. and uh, cutting them into separate magnets. Um, so I found a company that did that, and we uh, were able to ramp up production of of that stuff. And I found a source for plastic box uh, clamshell boxes to put the things in. Um, out of China, and so I ordered like a whole container load of these things out of China, and uh, and placed some big orders. And, and and did you have the the money to that? To yeah, do that? I was just going to say that that's that's the thing that can kind of kill you when you're a small business is is growth. I mean, you know, you grow too fast, you, you haven't getting cash. Um, so basically, when I set up with this uh, um, this factory that was screen printing and die cutting um, I 
all my customers had net 30 terms. So they, they had, uh, they, they would pay me after 30, 30 days after they had received the product or place their order or whatever. Um, but I had to pay for my stuff, my stuff right away. Sure. It was basically cash on demand. Uh, and so I had to beg this company to give me terms and they, they finally, we negotiated the terms of it and it was basically that they, could take my company if I d- didn't pay within sixty days. That's scary. Um, and I had thirty day terms, so you you didn't try to go out and raise money or find investors or no, no, no. That you just sort that of stuff still it. scares the hell out of me. Really, I don't, I don't know how to people this day do it. you've never you have. I mean, you own the company. Yeah, you've never had outside money. Nope. Okay. Bootstrap from That's amazing. So so you managed to to get this done. You have the threat of the manufacturer taking away your company. Yes, yes. That's got to motivate you. Yeah, yeah. You did it ramp up quickly? Did you go from the walker to being in stores nationwide? Uh yeah, I mean not thousands of stores nationwide, but uh, but you know, like 100 stores nationwide. And they were selling really quickly. And uh <clears throat> Did we, you start hiring staff? Yeah, I hired uh, a couple people, and I had my family. Some of my my family worked for me. Eventually, my sister, who lived in Portland, Oregon, came back and and started working for me. And now she's kind of the boss of Magnetic Poetry. I'm oh <laughs> the boss of you. Yeah, she's sort of the, <laughs> yeah she's she's the organized one of the family. I'm the the. Well, she's creative, but I'm I'm also creative. We're both creative. Got it. But she's more organized. Okay. She's, she's got her her stuff together. Um, so, but so given that you are creative, and that's how you stumbled upon this brilliant idea, when you're ramping up, I mean, it's it gets pretty technical. And pre- I mean, did you did you enjoy the process? Was that was it the problem solving that kept you engaged and interested? I did. I did. I yeah. It 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 felt like a different kind of creativity. Um, making, you know, I've always liked to make cool stuff, and one of the things I wanted to make was a cool company as well that made a cool product and i wanted to have cool employees and and cool policies and have it be a a fun nice place to work right how at what point did you really start making money i would say it took 2 years before i could start really uh, harvesting some of the profits that came in mm-hmm. um until then, everything just got plowed back into the business. Were and you I, still living in that house yeah, with seven lived, other roommates. <laughs> yeah, I lived in a uh, in a in a co-op house in Seward. Huh. Um, and excuse me. <clears throat> um, yeah, and I had a, a a little beater car that I I paid three hundred bucks for, and I uh, also at that time, I my girlfriend at the time got pregnant mm. and so that uh, that necessitated some some changes and for and us getting a house and so uh the like money I gotta went sell into, a lot of magnets yeah 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 <laughs> to get a good down payment together for that uh, uh but we bought a, mo- a modest house in northeast and uh and then i it, the thing started uh um you know the magnetic poetry thank God, was priced high enough at the time that 
cash flow didn't wasn't a disaster. You know, if we were running on say six uh, percent margins or something like the car industry does, uh, or three percent margins like the grocery industry does, <laughs> um, or something like that, you know, I'd be gone. Uh, but we've we've always had around forty percent margins, uh, which is healthy and, mm-hmm. and allows for uh, some for good cash flow. Sure. So you get in the hay- the heyday of magnetic poetry was what like the late late 90s where you're getting all sorts of media attention and I feel like it's it's everywhere and you're doing different kits. Am, am I right time-wise? Is that yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you fe- in that time? Are you like? Are you able to enjoy it, or are you feeling this pressure? Like, I got to come out with more products. I got to make more kits and more words, or you know, what what was the the pressure like? It well, it was really intense um, uh, for a number of different reasons. One, I for until I think like 1997, I was working probably 90 hours a week. Um, it was everything. And then I had a little kid. And then uh, Joyce, my wife at the time, uh, got, got cancer, mm. breast cancer. And so that threw an, another whole thing into that. And then there's the, the stress of the business. Um, uh, it was, yeah, it was a very hard, it, it was a very difficult time. Did you ever think about selling? I did, and we had some tire kickers, but the, it, and I went to a, a seminar on how to sell your business, and I I just realized that those are such shark filled waters, and it just it kind of creeped me out that whole world and the people that I was running into and the the companies that were basically just flipping businesses. Um, and you didn't want to see what you had built destroyed, or I mean, was it that you really loved the day to day? Ultimately, even the, all the hard days of what you were doing, or yeah, I lo- it was a love hate relationship, but uh-huh. it was you know it's my baby, um, and I wanted to see it grow in the way that I wanted it to grow, and um, yeah, and I didn't want it to just be sort of gutted and and used to pad somebody's portfolio. Sure. um, So how did you get through when when things got complicated and life gets complicated and you've got personal struggles and you've got this business that takes a lot of time? How did how did you get through that? Did you hire more people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, eventually we got up to about 25 employees. Now we're four employees Mm. Um, and we had a full warehouse, a 25,000 square, square foot warehouse space. And we were getting all our product from China, container loads uh, from China. Uh, we, uh, at, at one point, so me and another guy started a, a, a our own screen printing die cutting operation called US Magnetics which um, made all the magnetic poetry kits and also used the ex- excess capacity of the machinery to make other people's fridge magnets. Um, and that's still a going uh, mm. business here in Golden so Valley. So you make magnets for other people as yeah. well as your own? Yeah, well, yeah, yep. yep. Okay. Uh, that company, I, I, sold, I sold off most of that company to uh, another guy, John Condon. 
Uh, but they make all of Magnetic Poetry's magnets here in Gold. And it was, so we eventually brought everything home from China uh, after the uh, the economy crashed in 2008. Uh, we needed to radically downsize and uh, uh, make things much more efficient. Um, so we brought everything home from China and, and everything is made in uh, Golden Valley and uh, well, everything's made domestically. That's what I mean. and, and that is more efficient and more cost effective? Yeah, yeah. We've uh, So we are able to place much smaller orders. Uh, um, so it's sort of like doing just-in-time inventory. Um, and also we now have outsourced our warehousing to a, a, a logistics company that uh, picks and packs our stores, picks and packs our, our orders. So we only pay employees for what they are doing. So, so basically it's scalable. Mm-hmm. We're able to – when we're busy, we pay them more. When we're not, we don't have to pay them. So, And we're a little bit of a seasonal business. We do a lot more uh, business towards the end of the summer when people are building up for Christmas. Do, how many stores are you in these days? Mm, thousands. Worldwide is most of the are most magnetic poetry kits still sold in a physical store or is it online? Are you on Amazon? Yeah, we're on Amazon. Uh, we sell. Yeah, it, it's a yeah, it's a mix. Okay. That's that's what I'll say about that. So I read an article recently that talked about it was about magnetic poetry and the fact that you know the product still exists, but the fact that today people want a clean refrigerator. That the trends have changed, style has changed, times have changed, social media happened, and that impacted your connection with the refrigerator. What do you think about that, oh, and yeah. how has that changed your oh, business? It, it, well, it, yeah, that, I think, and the fact that most refrigerators nowadays are stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Stainless steel doesn't hold magnets. Um, that was huge for us. And then, yeah, like I say, the people now, when they want to send a message, a message to their kids, you know, they don't say, clean your room by writing it on a Post-it and sticking it to the fridge. They text them. Sure. Um, and they post, they don't stick a picture of their family vacation to the fridge. They stick it on Facebook. Um, so thing, yeah, things have ch- have changed so how via does, the refrigerator. How does magnetic poetry stay relevant? What where what is your main vehicle if not the refrigerator? It, well, other steel we we actually sell uh, steel easels, sort of that that you can stick magnetic poetry to. But there's still lots of steel stuff around. Sure, offices. Seen, how, yeah, yeah. A lot of people's dishwashers are are magnetic. The sides of a lot of refrigerators are magnetic, lockers, file cabinets, cookie sheets. Uh-huh. Uh, is it, who Who would you say is your target demo today? We've always said that our target demo, and actually it was St. Thomas that uh, did a, a study of, a marketing study for magnetic poetry as a class project, uh, identified our market as Educated women between ages eighteen and fifty-three. Huh. So, how long ago was that? It was like fifteen years ago or something. Um, But intuitively, I always knew that because basically, our market is is the people who shop at 
Patina mm-hmm. or Bibolo. Uh, Bibolo's not really around mm-hmm. anymore. But, you know, the, the high-end gift shops, like like the gift shop that's at Kowalski's grocery store, these, you know, the high-end gift, especially they refer to it as specialty gift in our business. Sure. Um, and, you know, you go in those stores and it's smart women who are mm-hmm. in there. Basically. Right, and they want their kids to get off of their iPads and do something <laughs> tactile with actual physical things. Well, th- that, and they're the ones who shop for gifts, even if they're whatever, their boyfriend or husband wants to, you know, like uh, get a gift for his mom at Mother's. It's the the woman who goes and buys the, mm-hmm. the well, I, I'm I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but I, I'm general, I'm stereotyping. But yeah. uh, Women but are making a lot of the purchasing you, decisions. Yeah, you go to, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So was there a moment that you thought, uh-oh, you know, what, Facebook happened or, you know, stainless steel refrigerators happened and you thought, uh-oh, I don't know about the future of magnetic poetry. Was there a, was there a, a downtime or has it just sort of changed and morphed uh well yeah it, it i we could see what was happening with the introduction of of stainless steel fridges we just watched it happening before our eyes and but there was the big precipitating event of of, of our shrinkage as a company was the economic crash in 2008 we at the time were still doing orders ordering stuff out of china and a container load of magnetic poetry kits cost, I don't know, $100,000 or something like that. Uh, and we had gotten three container loads in, and we were into our line of credit at the bank for, uh, you know, $300,000 or something. And all of a sudden, the economy crashed. And in, it, in 2008, it was like they canceled Christmas. There mm. was no—and tons of our— retailers that we sold to about half of them just went belly up um so it was a really scary time then and we really had to downsize at that point so you downsize people that's when you brought manufacturing yeah. back and yeah. do you feel like the the changes that you made then have sort of informed this next chapter of the company yeah 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 it, it, we we definitely took took advantage of um uh, things like, well, for instance, we our, our website. We used to have a, a in-house webmaster uh, who ran our shopper that was custom built. We had a, a, a an online shopping uh, an online store that was built by somebody else for a hundred thousand dollars, and then we had somebody in-house that we paid a salary to who ran that thing and and did our whole website and everything. Now all that stuff is off-the-shelf stuff. We use Shopify.com, which is has a great shopper of their own and all these great templates so you don't have to do the graphic design. You just kind of plug in, plug in your stuff into the templates. And, um, and it works wonderfully, and the security is wonderful. And uh, So technology has made it easier. It has made it easier to leaner. outsource. Yeah, yeah, to be, yeah, right, right. Um, are you still coming up with new kits? Are you yep. still? I mean, you're still selling a lot of magnetic poetry. Yeah, we're so we're still selling a lot of magnetic poetry. Not nearly as much in the as in the heyday of uh, probably its its height was around 2007, 2008 when it really 
hit its pinnacle. And since then, it's been sort of on a glide path. Well, it went on kind of a glide path down, and now we're sort of holding holding even at an undisclosed number that is sure. you know, healthy. Good enough to make you <laughs> want to go to work in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. do you still enjoy it? I, I do, yeah. It <laughs> doesn't sound I do. super well, convincing. I ha- well, I have to say that I, at this point, I'm sort of, I'm a lazy man, and I, <laughs> and I, I work very little nowadays, and all of us kind of work very. It, we, we, the company, we've gotten good at what we do, I think, and and we don't really have to work on it that hard. Uh, at times of the year, we work very hard, but but. For much of the time, the company sort of runs itself at this point. And I don't know that I am ambitious enough, although sometimes I get I get ideas that, boy, if I, I, I really – I get ideas for new products that, I, that, that are mm-hmm. con- entirely unrelated to magnetic poetry that I think could be hits. And but? That, but then I think – Oh my God! Do I want to go through that again? It's kind of—it's like having a kid, you know. Like, I love my kid. I, I have a, a 23-year-old right now, but oh my God, would I ever want to have another one? Oh, <laughs> it is so much work. Been there, done that. Yeah. Okay. And would so, you like to have? And no, you—I don't think you would. Maybe. So, so this is your this is your professional baby, and this is this is satisfying. Yeah, my baby grew up to be a nice young woman or <laughs> yeah a woman. she's a woman okay <laughs> um and what do you do with all of your lazy time these days i i still write songs and i ride my bike a lot and i've and i'm into photography and i've got a really nice girlfriend and I do like you, to travel and yeah, I like to live my life at that's this point. Amazing! Yeah. That's the dream. That's why yeah. everybody starts yeah, a business, well, I, yeah, right? right? So that they can do that. So, so what advice do you have for you know people who are just starting out on their journey? People who want—I feel like more than ever, people want to be an entrepreneur. They want to found something. They want to do something of their own. What advice do you have? Well, again. I would say do not be afraid to ask questions and to be dumb, you know, to, to act dumb. <laughs> um, don't be afraid to look dumb anyway. Uh, uh, and if you have a good idea, well, one of the things, especially if you're an in, in, inventor, if you have a, a great idea for a better mousetrap or whatever, I would – one of the first impulses that people have is that they think that they need a patent, before they can even start to think about developing their thing, a uh, business plan, and or you know, talking to people about their idea. And what I would say is that even if it, you've got a great idea, it's not going to get stolen right away. It, people, big companies have got their whole marketing plan and stuff planned out ten years in advance, and they're not going to take on your whole thing and and start making your product uh, with, until it's a proven commodity. So don't, you know, probably I'm going to get calls from lawyers if, <laughs> if any anybody listens to this. But uh, I would say don't worry about. If, okay, so here's the thing about patents: they cost at least ten thousand dollars to get to get one, just to get one in the first place. 
And then you, the real money starts getting spent because you have to police your patent, which means that you it's your responsibility. Do you have a magnetic poetry patent? We have, we have intellectual property protections, copyrights, trademarks, and things like that, but it wasn't patentable. We've, we applied and, and were turned down huh. uh, for a utility patent. I have got a, a patent, a couple of patents on, on versions of our magnetic poetry. We've got a, a version of magnetic poetry that flips that's printed on both sides and uh, and reads both ways. So, our for instance, our our kids' language kits have like the Spanish word on one side and then the English translation on the on the other side, mm. um, and they they're printed on both sides and stick both ways. So I've got a, a patent on that. Um, so so technology. maybe it's not that you don't need the patent or the lawyer, but it's just that you don't let that cloud the the creative process early on or pursuing the idea yeah yes because you'll never do it if mm-hmm. you if you put that initial roadblock up in, in front of you you'll just never make whatever it is that you want to make right. you know you uh, you'll have to come up with a tenth uh, yeah anyway put um, the kids together sell them out of your kitchen yeah, that's what I would say. Try, yeah, try selling the things. Try doing things on a small scale first, and mm-hmm. see, see how it does. And and be nimble, and be willing to change your product, and and let it uh, evolve to what people actually want. You yeah, know? great advice, Dave. Do you want to leave us with a poem? <laughs> I have, have you got a magnetic poetry kit? I'm sorry. The I reason no I invented this thing is that I don't. I'm not. I'm a terrible poet. I, I have to. I need. I need some. I need help. We need magnetic surfaces yes. in the sound room. All right. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thank story. You, it's such a good one. It's such a great product, and we really appreciate you being here today. Thank on you. by all means, stick around. We're going back to the classroom with the University of Saint Thomas Opus College of Business. When you stumble upon a great idea rather than setting out to create something, what's the best strategy? How do you become a successful, accidental entrepreneur? Let's go back to the classroom with Michael Garrison, professor of ethics and business law and senior associate dean here at the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. So you you listened to to Dave. He's a funny guy. He didn't intend to do this. How, How do you what did he do right and what are some lessons that the rest of us can take when that you know you never know when inspiration's going to strike yeah yeah i i would well you might expect there there is no one best strategy but i do think you need a strategy for success uh, a couple observations that he made really struck with me one um talk to some smart people out there mm-hmm they know the industry. They know the market. I think he got assistance along the way, and they're willing to help you along the way. Right. Um, you've got to be cautious about who you disclose things to at, from time to time, but you've got to do, do your own due diligence if you really don't understand the market that you're entering into. Um, secondly, th- there really is no one-size-fits-all for being a successful entrepreneur. Sometimes you need a patent. Sometimes you don't. In Dave's case, he didn't. Uh, What I describe in Dave's case is he had first mover advantage. There was nothing similar in the market at this point in time. Mm -hmm. There were refrigerator magnets for sure, 
but the idea of a set of words that you could use in sentences and to create new things yeah. was, was not there. Totally new. Totally new. So, But that's a good point, and I don't know that it's something that people who are inventing things or entrepreneurs think about. Is a patent really the first thing you should do before you start thinking about mm. product development and getting it to the market? Is it the patent that you should focus on? Well, I think... I think you should think about it. I think you should understand that in some markets, you might need a patent. So if you're in the biotech arena, uh, medical device, if you're in a more uh, manufacturing context, um, you're going to have to be thinking about a patent. Um, example, famous case involving the intermittent uh, uh, wipers on automobiles. Mm. Um, developed in the 1960s, um, the gentleman who developed it did secure a patent, went to Chrysler and Ford to license it to them, and they basically used his idea mm. without his consent. And the only way he was able to be successful and recover any investment was by suing them for patent infringement. Had he not had the patent, he would have lost that idea. Oh, interesting. Okay. And a recent example, we, we I can't mention the name of the company, but there's a biotech firm. They have a, a medical device product. Uh, they disclosed it to a potential purchaser of the business. The potential purchaser didn't buy them out, but proceeded to take their idea. Mm-hmm. Now they're involved in a lawsuit over over this biotech device. Yikes. That's not what an entrepreneur wants to hear when you're just trying to invent <laughs> things, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so you, ta- you said talk to smart people. Is, is a lawyer one of those first smart people I, that you should reach out to? I do think so. I mean, of course, that's my bent coming from a legal background. But I do think in some cases, you can get a lot of information these days online. The Patent and Trademark Office will give you ton of information about patents but at some point in time given the nature of a market you might want to you might want to get some legal counsel mm-hmm. and then they can advise you about not just patents but trademarks trade secrets other ways in which you can protect your idea because the key takeaway is that an idea without legal protection is pretty much fair game in the market. Right, right. Great advice, great insight. Thank you, Professor Garrison, for joining us. Thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want more information about the show, that's available at tcbmag.com slash byallmeans. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.